This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said in his nightly address Thursday that he had just signed decrees giving posthumous awards to three policemen who were killed by Russian mines on Wednesday in the Kherson region. He said Ukraine will be dealing with mines for years to come, among them buried landmines, tripwire mines and mined buildings, cars and infrastructure. He said mining Ukrainian territory is certainly one of the charges for which Russia will someday have to answer. One of the winners of this year's Nobel Peace Prize says there will be no lasting peace in Ukraine until there is justice and human rights. AP correspondent Karen Chamas has more. The head of the Ukrainian Center for Civil Liberties, Oleksandra Matvichuk, said Russian President Vladimir Putin thinks he can do exactly what he wants. The human rights activist also said that she believes human rights and peace are inextricably linked. Matvichuk spoke to reporters on her arrival to Oslo to receive the Nobel Peace Prize with fellow human rights campaigners from Belarus and Russia. The prize was seen as a strong rebuke to the authoritarian rule of Putin. I'm Karen Chamas. The Biden administration hopes to use a gathering of 50 African delegations in Washington to uplift and empower African institutions, citizens and nations through discussions about challenges such as health, democracy, governance, climate change and more. This according to senior administration officials on Thursday. Next week's U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit will spend three days in Washington discussing the challenges, needs and hopes of one-fifth of the world's population spread over a landmass where as many as one-third of the world's languages are spoken. The summit begins on Tuesday. From Washington, you're listening to VOA News. Two women who lost their jobs at Twitter when billionaire Elon Musk took over are suing the company in federal court, claiming last month's abrupt mass layoffs disproportionately affected female employees. The discrimination lawsuit is the latest in a series of legal challenges over Musk's decimation of Twitter's workforce through mass layoffs and firings. Speaking to reporters outside the federal courthouse in San Francisco, lead attorney Shannon Liss Rorden says an analysis of layoffs shows clear gender bias. 57% of women were laid off while 47% of men were laid off. Um, And the statistical significance of those numbers is through the roof. Days after the world's richest man bought the social media platform for $44 billion, the company told about half the employees on November 4th that they no longer had a job, but would get three months' severance. Hundreds of journalists and other employees at the New York Times are on a 24-hour walkout, the first strike of its kind at the newspaper in more than 40 years. Striking reporters and editors rallied outside the newspaper's offices, while the company relied on non-union staff to keep up with news coverage. Nicole Hannah-Jones with the New York Times Magazine said the workers love the Times. We are here because we love the New York Times and because workers are the heart of the New York Times. Members of the News Guild of New York say they're fed up with bargaining that has dragged on since their last contract expired. In March of 2021, negotiations took place Tuesday and Wednesday, but the sides remain far apart on issues, including wages and remote work policies.
The U.S. House of Representatives gave final approval Thursday to a bill that protects same-sex and interracial marriages. The measure passed 258 to 169 and now heads to President Biden's desk to be signed into law. A judge has sentenced former Theranos executive Ramesh Sunny Balwani to nearly 13 years in prison for his role in the country's blood testing hoax. The punishment announced Wednesday was slightly longer than that given last month to the CEO, who was his romantic partner and accomplice in one of Silicon Valley's biggest scandals. Balwani was convicted in July of fraud and conspiracy in connection with bogus medical technology that duped investors and endangered patients. His sentencing came less than three weeks after Elizabeth Holmes received more than 11 years in prison. And the Biden administration filed a complaint Thursday aimed at blocking tech giant Microsoft's $69 billion bid to buy Call of Duty games maker Activision over concerns the deal would deny rivals access to popular games. Marissa Melton, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Botty in Washington. Today is Friday, December 9th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Uganda received 1,200 vaccine doses to fight the Sudanese Ebola variant. I want to appreciate my teams, the partners, and the communities of Uganda for showing our resilience in responding to epidemics. The WHO urges vigilance as COVID-19 pandemic wanes in Africa. Zambia civil society groups call for inclusive development at next week's U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. And the tale of two countries as the world marks International Anti-Corruption Day today, Friday. International Anti-Corruption Day is a day that reminds us that we should always strive to do the right thing. As we speak, the issues of corruption is pervasive in Liberia. And it is simply because we are traveling on impunities. And the Gulf of Guinea countries agreed to stop illegal Chinese fishing. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Uganda has received 1,200 experimental vaccine doses designed to work against the Sudan strain of the Ebola virus that will be used in scientific trials. Officials say the trial vaccines are a step towards curbing future outbreaks. Reporter Mugumi Davis-Rakarinji has more from Kampala. The vaccines were manufactured by the Sabine's Vaccine Institute in the U.S. and were procured by the World Health Organization in Uganda. Uganda's health minister, Dr. Ruth Jenna Cheng, says although the country is steadily recovering from the deadly Ebola virus, scientists must go ahead and seek treatment and prevention for the life-threatening virus and other diseases. Today we have Ebola, another day we shall have Mabag. We still have many cases of Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever and other viral hemorrhagic fevers may come up. At least 3,000 people aged six years and above are expected as volunteers in the clinical trials. Many people, including the international community, predicted that this Ebola outbreak would blow out of proportion, it would be exported, and Uganda would fail to handle. But I want to appreciate my teams, the partners, and the communities of Uganda for showing our resilience in responding to epidemics. 
Currently, there is no proven vaccine and medicine to treat the Sudanese variant of Ebola. At least 142 cases of illness have been confirmed in Uganda since the epidemic was announced in September, leading to 56 deaths. However, there has not been a case in the last 10 days. Dr. Charles Njuguna, who works with the World Health Organization in Uganda, warns there should be no complacency in fighting Ebola. While the research continues, we must enhance surveillance system to detect and report suspicious cases immediately. Minister Cheng says the country is expecting other dozens from Mark and Oxford vaccine groups in the coming days. For VOA News, I am Gume, Davis Ruakarindini Kampala, Uganda. The World Health Organization says COVID-19 cases are continuing their downward spiral in Africa, but warns that the pandemic is not over and nations must remain vigilant. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Following a recent four-week resurgence of COVID-19, cases and deaths once again are dropping in Africa. Since this month-long spike ended on November 20th, the World Health Organization has recorded slightly more than 12,300 new cases and 50 deaths. The WHO Regional Director for Africa, Machidiso Moiti, says these numbers are at their lowest levels since the start of the pandemic in 2020. Despite the recent uptick, there is hope that Africa will be spared the challenges of the previous two years when surging cases marred the holiday season for men. While the current efforts keep the pandemic within control, we are carefully monitoring its evolution. We must remain vigilant and be ready to adopt more stringent preventive measures if necessary. Moeti says investments in COVID-19 management over the last three years are paying off and the region is better able to cope with the virus. She notes the number of intensive care unit beds has increased and medical oxygen production has grown. She says Africa also has strengthened its laboratory capacity, including conducting genomic sequencing. But she adds worrisome gaps in vaccination remain, especially among the most vulnerable. She says it is urgent that health workers be vaccinated to protect them from getting severe illness and dying. Other high-risk groups who must be vaccinated, she says, include the elderly, people living with HIV, and those who have potentially life-threatening conditions such as diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. These, in our view, are the groups in which we need to really push accelerating coverage, increasing the proportion of people that are, co- that are covered and reaching the highest level of coverage possible, while also, of course, making sure that those of them who took their first series of vaccines early also are boosted, so to sustain the level of immunity, particularly protect them against severe illness. WHO reports only 26% of Africans are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Regional Director Moeti says greater coverage can be achieved and more people reached by integrating COVID-19 vaccination into routine immunization and primary health care services. As the pandemic winds down, she says COVID-19 should be brought out of an emergency response mode and integrated into routine health care. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. 
More than 49 African leaders converge in Washington, D.C. next week for the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit with President Joe Biden. Civil society organizations in Zambia are urging the leaders to focus on sustainable development and strengthening democracy on the continent. Kathy Short has more from Lusaka. The summit to be held from 13th to 15th December in Washington, D.C. brings together heads of state, the African Union, civil society and young leaders to discuss pressing world issues and to promote trade and development between the U.S. and Africa. It will also include members of the diaspora, which include women-led small and medium enterprises familiar with the African market. Dr. Charity Musamba, a development analyst at the University of Zambia, says the summit should focus on alleviating poverty in Africa would like to see the American government commit itself to providing sustainable development, for instance, aimed at making sure that most countries are helped or assisted to head towards achieving the sustainable development goals. Bonfest Chembe is a political analyst and executive director of the Southern African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, an NGO championing democracy and human rights. He says the summit comes at a critical time when the world is embroiled in so many crises from the economy to shrinking democratic space. And we hope that uh, it will help uh, continue to inspire and motivate uh, those who want to remain on the democratic uh, path, which is uh, very key in our view, uh, because um, it is only through democracy that you are able to peacefully be in a position to have a change of leadership, a change of governments, uh, and allow uh, people to be able to express themselves uh, freely without uh, fear or favor, because fundamental human rights are guaranteed. And speaking during an online media briefing Wednesday, U.S. Senior Director for African Affairs at the State Department, Jad Devamont, said the U.S. believes strongly that African voices will be critical in creating 21st century strategic partnerships. The summit is a demonstration of our renewed commitment to the African continent. It's an opportunity for us to deepen our long-standing partnership and to focus on new areas and topics that will really define the challenges and opportunities of today and tomorrow. One of the animating themes of the summit is building 21st century partnerships. Observers note the success of ongoing partnerships between the U.S. and Africa. For example, over the past three years, the U.S. government's Prosper Africa program has helped create more than 800 trade and investment deals across 45 African countries with an estimated 50 billion U.S. dollars in exports and investments. And President Biden's Prepare Action Plan aims to help climate-proof Africa's infrastructure, water, health and food systems. The first U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit was held in 2014 under President Barack Obama's administration, announcing and engaging new private sector commitments to invest and partner with African countries on initiatives in energy, financial services, climate change, food security and health care. And Kathy Short for VOA News in Lusaka, Zambia. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Botti in Washington. Today is Friday, December 9th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. 
the world marks International Anti-Corruption Day today, Friday. According to the United Nations, corruption undermines the achievement of sustainable development. In Liberia, it appears the fight against graft is being fought on a rough terrain. In August, President George Weah suspended three senior government officials, including the Minister of State for Presidential Affairs, after the U.S. Treasury Department sanctioned them for misappropriation of state assets and bribery. Among others, the department said the three officials, through their corruption, undermined democracy in Liberia for their own personal benefit. The former Presidential Affairs Minister is now running for Senator of Mangibi County. Senator Abraham Darius Dalen of Liberia will be the keynote speaker today at an International Anti-Corruption Day program sponsored by the Liberian Council of Churches. Senator Dalen tells me he will urge the church to regain its moral voice over the country. International Anti-Corruption Day is a day that reminds us that we should always strive to do the right thing. As we speak, the issues of corruption is pervasive in Liberia. And it is simply because uh, we are thriving on impunity. We have not developed the courage to tackle this menace in such a way that it serves as deterrent to people that bad behavior should not be encouraged. And so the situation in Liberia is terrible. The entire government, of which I am a member, senior member of the Liberian legislature, the Senate, it is troubling. And we are only hoping that um, we as a nation and people will gain some national consciousness to start to tackle this menace, beginning with ourselves in public service. Are you saying that uh, there's no political will to fight corruption the way you are describing it? There is no political will. Corruption is staring us in the face. Corruption is hurting this country. We are war contracts. With no safeguards against abuse of the public trust, of public resources, we rectify deals. When people are caught in the acts of corruption or accused of being corrupt, when they are investigated by governance, integrity, institution, nobody gets punished because the political will on part, especially of the executive, that is close with the authority to prosecute bad behavior. There's no will on part of the executive. And then when you have a sharply, a weak legislative majority, then it even worsens the situation. And that's where we are. I understand you will be speaking today, Friday, to the Liberian Council of Churches on this anti-corruption day. What is going to be your message to the nation and to this group? The church should pray to summon the courage and allow God to intervene in such a way that the church will regain its moral voice over the society. And the Bible says that we should let our light so shine among men that they will see and glorify our Father in heaven. What is happening to this country as we speak today on the International Anti-Corruption Day before the church, the Liberal Council of Churches, is to encourage the church to wake up, preach messages of repentance rather than message of prosperity. Speak to the soul and conscience of the country and the managers over the resources of the country so that we can repent and do what is right. That was Senator Abraham Darius Dalen of Liberia. He was speaking with me from the capital, Monrovia. A spokesperson for Malawi President Lasro Chakwera says the fight against corruption in Malawi is as serious as it has ever been. 
This as the world marks International Anti-Corruption Day today, Friday. According to the United Nations, government fraud, bribery, and mismanagement undermined sustainable development. Last month, the Malawi Anti-Corruption Bureau arrested and charged the country's vice president with alleged wrongdoing. This week, the director general of the Anti-Corruption Bureau was arrested and charged with making use of speech capable of bias against a person who is a party to judicial proceedings. Sean Campodeni is the director of communications for President Chakwera. He tells me that Malawians should expect the fight against corruption to ramp up because for the first time, they have a leader who has the political will to pursue the crime to its logical conclusion. I would say that the fight against corruption is serious right now in Malawi than it has ever been. For many, many years, under many different administrations, citizens of Malawi have known that there is endemic corruption in various government institutions. The citizens have also felt, by and large, that there has never been the political will to really address the fight against corruption, to really take the fight to the perpetrators and the culprits of the vice. Now, for the first time, under President Lazarus Chakwera, there is a sense that there is a political will to pursue corruption to its logical conclusion. So it's not so much that the corruption fight has ramped up uh, recently, it's that the corruption fight is actually being taken seriously by the president and by his administration. And so over the course of his presidency, what you can expect, James, and what your viewers can expect under the administration of President Lazarus Chakwera is that there's going to be more and more stories of people being found to have a case to answer, of people being found to be suspects of uh, corrupt practices because things are being looked into, investigations are being done, uh, law enforcement agencies uh, that have the mandate under the law to pursue corruption cases are not being interfered with politically. Uh, not only are they not being interfered with, they are actually being furnished with full resources, both financially as well as uh, in terms of human resource to really take the fight where it needs to go. And so that is essentially what you're going to be seeing. You're going to be seeing more and more cases coming out in the press of people that have a case to answer and so forth because for the first time in a very long time in Malawi, there is a president in office who is very serious about pursuing those matters. Obviously, I cannot comment on specific cases that you have mentioned because those are now matters in court. And once a, a case is in court, our laws uh, prevent a public officer such as myself to weigh in on such because they are now being adjudicated before the courts of law. And it is in those courts that the innocence or guilt of anyone accused will be determined. Sean Campodeni is the director of communications for Malawi President Lazarus Chakwera. He was speaking with me here in Washington, D.C. Environmental groups say Chinese boats are decimating West Africa's fish stocks and fishing communities in the Gulf of Guinea. The nations of the region this year banded together to crack down on illegal fishing. Henry Wilkins report from Grand Popo, Benin. Fishing communities on the Gulf of Guinea are suffering. The Institute for Security Studies, a South African think tank, says they could be losing more than $2 billion each year to illegal fishing, mainly from Chinese-owned boats. Beninese fisherman Jeffrey Gebedevi says it's getting harder to feed his daughter and pregnant wife. He says right now the community is suffering a lot. The number of fish they're catching is much lower than it used to be. Nothing is going the way it used to, he adds. 
Yaya Toshu Koma Benoit is a community leader in Grand Popo, a small fishing town in Benin close to the border with Togo, where houses are empty as community members have been forced to leave to find work elsewhere. He blames the problem in part on techniques that catch fish before they are fully developed. That's why there are no more fish. If we can ban this practice, that's good. There are lots of fishermen who use smaller mesh nets, so there are not many fish left. The Environmental Justice Foundation says illegal fishing boats in Ghana use Ghanaian flags, but 90% were traced to Chinese owners. China has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing, with one article in the state-affiliated Global Times newspaper last year rejecting what it called Western media rumours of China's illegal fishing and saying Beijing had tightened oversight of deep-sea fishing boats. Benin, Ghana and Togo agreed in 2022 to joint patrols and information sharing with support from the European Fisheries Control Agency, EFCA, through a centre in Accra. But Susan Steele, the agency's executive director, says more efforts are needed. Legislation, operations, training and cooperation. One of the key things that you want to be looking for is to make sure that there is consequences for the people who've been doing the illegal fishing. As for Gebedevi, he just wants to feed his family. He says he lives in hope that things will get better. Other fishermen VOA spoke to in Benin said the joint patrols seem to be helping and fish stocks are showing some signs of improvement. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Grand Popo, Benin. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something Umale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the latest update from the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. The quarterfinals of the 2022 World Cup will begin today with some exciting matchups. The tournament favorite Brazil will play the 2018 runners-up Croatia in the early kickoff, which will be followed with a repeat of the 1978 final when Argentina will play Netherlands. Of interest to Africa will be the match involving the Atlas Lions of Morocco who will head into Saturday's last eight clash with Portugal knowing that they are only one step away from making history as Africa's first World Cup semi-finalist but they face a buoyant opposition fresh from scoring six goals against Switzerland. The Atlas Lions are only the fourth African side to reach the quarterfinals after Cameroon in 1990, Senegal in 2002 and Ghana in 2010. Craig Williams Bali, Scottish former professional footballer and sports television pundit and co-commentator for ESPN, previews the Morocco versus Portugal quarterfinal clash on Saturday. I think we'll see maybe a slightly more front foot Morocco uh, than we did, but but not 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 a wholesome change in tactics. Uh, and listen, as I mentioned earlier, they they have been so difficult to beat as well. Um, I think they. The prognosis on size will be key for them as well, and, and, and we have no clue what that's going to be as he finished the game uh, sort of hobbling around. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, but whoever goes through from this Switzerland-Portugal game, it, it's hard to really say, well, they're going to be favourites now uh, to beat this Moroccan side because they have been so dogged in this tournament. They have got a threat on the counter-attack. We've talked about Amrabat's performance and others in the middle of the park 
And if you look at where all the players are playing, they're playing for they're playing at a good level. The World Soccer ruling body FIFA has released 16 referees and has asked them to return home. On 19th May 2022, FIFA announced the list of 36 referees and 69 assistant referees from all six confederations for the 2022 FIFA World Cup, and they were selected from an extended list of over 50 countries. After the group stage games and the round of 16 matches, a total number of 50. Six matches have been played in almost three weeks. The football body on Thursdays made it known that 16 referees have been released to return home. Away from the FIFA 2022 World Cup in Qatar, Kenya intends to bid to co-host the 2027 African Cup of Nations alongside other countries in East Africa. The Kenyan government has sanctioned the plan with the ultimate aim of qualifying for the Men's World Cup for the first time in 2030. And that's it for this Friday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Sapsin Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Sapsin. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, December 9th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. We are also on YouTube where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton, Washington, wishing you will have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. What should we make of the impending right-wing government in Israel? Benjamin Netanyahu returns to power, this time with an alliance of some of the most extreme politicians in Israel today. Two Israel experts explain why this happened and implications for the Palestinians, U.S.-Israel relations, and the region, Israel's new government, next on Encounter, this Saturday and Sunday, on The Voice of America. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis, inviting you to listen every week as a panel of VOA and Washington-based journalists discuss the top domestic and international news stories. With our correspondents and sources from the White House, Capitol Hill, and elsewhere, we will bring you the inside stories from Washington. That's Issues in the News every week on The Voice of America.